How you feeling? Okay? Yes, I'm feeling okay. This is going to be a different episode. A different kind of episode. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, but uh, important stuff to discuss. I hope so. Well, let's get to it because uh, who knows what's going to be any minute from now with regards to this. Welcome to Spies and Lies. And on this special espionage episode, we're going to look at current events. We're going to look at the crisis in Ukraine at the moment, or perhaps some might look at it and not say it's a crisis. I suppose those people would be in Russia. Anything to say about that to start off with? Well, there's many things to talk about. So it depends where, from what angle you want to start. I, I, th- I suppose we should give a little bit of context as to what's going on. If, if you haven't been listening to the news or, or watching the news or anything like that, uh, the sovereign nation of Ukraine was invaded by Russia. And they invaded on many different fronts all across the nation. Troops are moving. This happened three days ago. And the situation is a bit unclear. When we're recording um, right now, last night was when Kiev was attacked by Russian troops. Kiev is the capital of Ukraine. The troops were repelled by Ukrainian forces. And the situation is a bit um, uncertain at the moment. It's even unclear as to what the end goal of Putin is, who's the um, head of Russia, uh, the dictator of Russia, some might say. Uh, and so it, it's all a very chaotic time. Anything to add? <laughs> of course, there's a lot of things to add. A few things well, to add. Well, let's let's try and make sense of some of these things. First of all, obviously, we don't have all the pictures. We don't have the whole picture. We right. don't know what, exactly what's going on in all the elements. But I thought, and actually myself and Omri thought that. Although we're not dealing with current events, that because of the situation, we thought it would be a, the right thing maybe to just put and talk a little bit about what's going on uh, in Ukraine, some of my thoughts about the situation, give it a bit of a different, maybe a different light or different, different, different thoughts about You can say a different perspective. And uh, it won't be our normal uh, spies and lies, but I think there'll be some elements and I don't want to be like another another one who's giving more information about what's going on, but just to just to give us a little bit of thinking about some of the of the elements that maybe have not been approached in the right way or maybe didn't one brought up the right way. Now, also from my perspective, I will just state out front that um, I filmed uh, a movie in Ukraine. Uh, two years ago or a year and a half ago and uh, you know I was there for two months I was in Kiev and Lviv and I know a lot of Ukrainians I have a lot of Ukrainian friends right now who are caught in the midst of the conflict and I've been in communication with with them and uh, I wish them all strength and support during this crazy time and yeah, hang in there. This is a crazy situation, and I'm, I'm thinking about you guys, and I'm, I'm trying to do what I can, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm at from, from this. My, the film that I shot was even supposed to premiere in Ukraine in, in two weeks, so I don't think that's happening now. There's a different kind of film going on there. Yeah. The director that I worked with, actually, his family, they were trying to leave through the Polish border, and he wasn't allowed to leave, but his his wife and and their child got out, and uh, it's I've been in touch with him, and it, it's just a really it's a surreal situation to think about. Yeah. Okay, let's let's start from not from the beginning, but let's start from just looking at it from from two different angles. One, from you could say from the intelligence side, and the other thing from the practical point of view. Mm-hmm. So I'll try and say a couple of words in each one of these things and then we'll see you can you can ask me questions as we go along sure okay yeah and i'll give my own thoughts as all well. all right so intelligence point of view everybody everybody i mean i'm not again i'm not gonna say one is right or one is wrong i'm just gonna try and say things from a different perspective of each one the way it is mm-hmm. let's look at um at russia at putin um in his mind he uh, invaded Ukraine for his own reasons, and um, and at this at this stage, it's not clear uh, 
What's the end goal? <laughs> what's the end goal? Now, if you look at the scenarios, obviously it's been discussed before, but I'll, I'll, I'll want to just talk about it for a moment because it has a very big significance about how I see is what's going on there. From his point of view, Ukraine is not a nation that should be a nation or not a country should be a country. Therefore, in his mind, to, to justify it, he, he found all sorts of reasons to go in. Now, he feels this way because Ukraine was part of Russia for a long time. Well, like a history. lot of other Russian countries, but Russia has always not been one. It's always been a number of different ethnic groups. And, yes. and so f f from Russian point of view, Ukraine is part of Russia. Right. Now, um, he decided he wants to go into Russia, Now, could, into, into Ukraine. Now, we have to look at it from this angle. Does he want to annex Ukraine back into Russia, and that and and therefore no reason for Ukraine to be independent? That means you have to act in a certain way. The other element is: Do I go in and I just want to make a change regime? Put in a puppet. I put a puppet instead uh, of the president and the, the government's there. It's a different way you act. And the third thing: Do I do what I said I was going to do, and that is just take the eastern side? and then leave Ukraine to fall, but leave it independent and do what they want. So take a chunk out of it. Correct. So now, as an intelligence point of view, we were looking at the West. We knew there was war. We knew there was going to be a war. We had uh, the West, uh, talking about major uh, intelligence organizations, were informed probably that this is the situation. The governments were informed. Everything was in the press, was out there. But it wasn't clear and still not clear what's the end game. Now, I would like to look at the end game from a different angle. I would look at the end game from the angle of what is he doing and how is he acting and what is he what is it up to? So you would say why why are the Russians using all the force? Now, if you use all your force, that means you go against the civilians. Now, if he wants to make Ukraine part of Russia and in, uh, and integrate it into Russia, does he want a devastated Ukraine? I would say no, because he doesn't want the, the whole people there to hate him. He doesn't, and the main thing is economically, if he destroys all the infrastructure and he bombs everything there and he takes over the country, who's going to fix it? Yeah, if he takes over a destroyed country, it doesn't do him very No, much. one, he gets a lot of enemies in the country itself. And second, someone has to pay for it and fix it. Now, you can't, you can't build up and economically handle a country that's been devastated and destroyed with all its infrastructure in ruins. So you would say that he's targeting military um, military facilities and military uh, equipment and anything that could weaken the Ukrainian government to resist and topple the government. Let's put it in a different way. If he wanted to flatten Ukraine, he could have very easily dropped big bombs on major cities. Of course, and made devastation. And, but that's not what he wants to do. He so, hasn't done that, but to say he hasn't killed any civilians is also a No, I, that, the civil, it's, it's minor. The amount of civilians that have died in this is minor. I don't Comparatively, yes. No. If, if you're looking at it as a campaign, as a campaign, if you want to do something, the Russians know how to do it very well, and other Western countries know as well. You flatten the cities. You did it in Syria. He does it in Afghanistan. Did it in, in Grozny and Chechnya. Yes. If you not, want to go against civilians, you do here. it. He doesn't. Do, not, so then you say to yourself, okay, why doesn't he do it? Because in the end, he wants the people of Ukraine to not hate Russia. Now, that's an interesting thing to say because, again, speaking from my experience of being there, and the Ukrainians that I worked with, they hate Russia already. They're not fans. Um, they equate Russia and Putin, many of them, I'm not going to speak whole, whole cloth, of course, to Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. So there's, and I know that gets touted around a lot, but this is what the Ukrainians that I worked with, a lot of them felt and expressed even more so now with recent action. So he wants the civilians on his side, but... He thought that having 
that there's enough Russian cranes or cranes that support Russia that when he marches in with his soldiers, they'll everybody will say, "Hooray, you've come to liberate us." Maybe in the east. Now, and that's not the even in the east. I'm not sure if that's the case. So, and that's not happening. No. And that's another part of from his intelligence. If you're looking at it now from an intelligence point of view, it's his failure to understand that that's the situation and that's the sentiment. So we'll see if that how it turns out. But from his, his that's his one of his mistakes. Mm-hmm. The mistake of the of the West is that they had the intelligence and no one really believed it because why change the world order? Will he really want to do it? Is he crazy? Does he know what he's going into? What does he want he want to do? So at the moment, there's. On both sides, there's not 100%, the intelligence wasn't 100% clear what is going to happen and the consequences of it. Now, if you look again from the point of view of his objectives, if he wants to change the government, will that government get any support from the local people after this? Very hard to, to, to think that that's going to happen. So, in my opinion, what is what he really wants to do is send a message send a message to the West and send a message to, to the America and to the West for new world order from his point of view. But the most important thing is he wants to um, make sure that his power and his regime stays in Russia and is intact because he was worried that slowly, slowly, all the Eastern Bloc was moving towards the West. Slowly, slowly, even countries like Ukraine were looking at the 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 way uh, the lifestyle of the West as the way lifestyle that they would like. Well, Ukraine and was trying it, to get and into then, NATO. And, yeah. Yes, and then it would have the next stage would have probably been Russia. And the last thing he wants is on his borders something that will influence his own reign in Russia. Now, what is happening in Russia is that he is now the leader for over twenty years. There's no democracy. That's why I said dictator in the beginning. He's a dictator. Okay, dictator. He's a dictator, but he's there for over 20 years, and he's there for another 10, 15 years. That's how he he got himself elected, and the rules pass that he can stay as long as he wants. Now, what does it mean? It means when a leader is so long in his power and his possession, two things happen to him. One, he thinks he can get away with everything. And second, he starts looking at himself in a different way. And how does it go down in history? And what does he want for himself? And is he bored just running a country? And he thought that he can do things that now he maybe find out that not it doesn't really work. And he wants to be in a scenario where he wants he really wants Russia to be great again as it used to be. And to be great again, you have to take over the territories that used to be yours or support anyone who wants to be part of you. So... The West has a couple of options to do, and that's where they had to had to make a decision. One, what's the message they're sending Russia? And second, how can they help Ukraine? Now, from the point of view of how can they help Ukraine, they can't really help Ukraine militarily. It just doesn't work. Well, it, they can. It, they can, but they, they can't. Because but they won't. Uh, at this stage, they cannot. They cannot. There's no treaty that binds them to do it, and any war against uh against the forces of the Russian forces eventually brings to a much bigger escalation that could bring to a complete third world war. And I don't think anyone wants that. And even bring to nuclear. But no one really wants that. So you have to stop there. Don't have to sacrifice Ukraine, but you cannot immediately go it. Do it. So what do you do? The message that uh, President Biden and uh, um, other leaders, especially the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson are saying, look, NATO is standing firm on its uh, commitment to Article 5. That means attack on any of our nations and any of the states, the NATO states, the NATO states that assign the agreement is an attack on us and therefore we're not going to tolerate anything else. Now, it Ukraine means... Ukraine is not part of NATO. Ukraine is not part of NATO. They wanted to become part they of NATO. They wanted to. And which some have said is what spurred this whole recent conflict correct. to occur. But there's a lot of other countries the Baltics, yes, who are and, and Poland and Hungary and Romania, who are always they wanted to join NATO for the exact reason that has happened to Ukraine. They knew that the Russians would always want to come back and take mm-hmm. over the area. So the first thing the West had to make sure is, wait a minute, let's send a message to Putin. Listen, if you're gonna mess, if you think you can start marching your soldiers somewhere else, forget it. If you're gonna start with any of the countries that are signed to NATO, it's not gonna happen. 
we're going to have to we're going to have to uh, react. Now, what I felt that Putin wanted to do, or thought he could get away with, is that change the government in in Ukraine, have it more supportive of Russia, go towards the Russian style of government, show the world that it's possible, show the countries that it's okay, and then slowly try and do the same thing in other countries that are surrounding and make them change their government in different ways. Maybe they'll then vote to give it out of NATO, or maybe they'll change the decision. And slowly, slowly, or maybe quickly, depends how he does it, recreate the uh, Recreate again. Now, if you look at the map, you have Kaliningrad. He would love to be connected to Kaliningrad. It's, if you look, it's on the, on the Baltic Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like an enclave that's right on the top there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've always wanted to connect it back uh, as a passageway, I think, through Lithuania and, and, and Poland. And uh, that's one thing they wanted to do. They have uh, Belarus that, of course, is a ally of Russia and everyone that's a prior state anyway, and people are not happy with that. And, and he would like everyone to be like Belarus. So if you look what Putin is trying to do, his, I don't think at this stage he is thinking of um, allowing Ukraine to integrate into Russia, although it must have been a thought that went into his mind. He wants to make it in an, a, 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 keep it as a state, but a proxy puppet. state, a puppet state. And at the moment, that's not happening. Well, they're putting up fierce resistance. Because of putting up fierce resistance. Now, let's analyze a few of these thoughts for a moment. If he's looking to put it as a puppet state, his intelligence has failed him because they will have failed to understand the amount of Ukrainian nationalism that exists in Ukraine and lack of Russian support across the board. They will have failed to look at the history, the recent history of Ukraine, such as the Maidan uprising, which saw the citizens twice overthrow the government because they felt the government was not supporting its own citizens, it was too close to Russia, and they wanted something more democratic and more West-leaning. Correct. In fact, as a result of all this craziness, the current president of Ukraine, Zelensky, uh, is kind of like a lot of situations around the world in relative recent times. Not that he's a was a joke candidate, but his whole backstory is a little bit funny. He was a comedian, he played a president on a TV show, and then he ran on a party with the same name as the party on the TV show, and he won. Now, the fact that he's turned out to be actually a, a pretty good president... Very good. Very good, very in fact. Good, yes. um, An example for his people, and I think everybody is proud of him, even the opposition. Especially and now, being, during yes, war standing behind him. It, it's um, quite surprising, but it goes to show you the political situation, as in many countries, upset about the ruling class, um, upset about status quo, except in Ukraine, they did something about it twice, recently, within the last 20 years, big protests in Maidan, uprisings, overthrowing the government, regime, not regime change, I mean, yes, regime change technically, to be more what the citizens want. So as an intelligence point of view, what are they doing? They've miscalculated this completely. Okay, look at from the intelligence point of view, from Russian point of view. Um, to start this war, they needed to know the terrain. They knew it. Well, they knew the terrain. They, they knew the terrain very well. It. Because they controlled here, so they had people who knew and they were able to know about things. What do they need to know? They need to know where the infrastructure is. They needed to know where the air forces are, where it's hidden, what is happening. So they had to have or agents on the ground. And they had to have uh, good uh, uh, electronic surveillance and electronic equipment and a lot of uh, capabilities that allowed them to target all the places they need to target. So from that point of view, they did their homework. But, you know, when we discussed in our first episode about understanding what's going on in the street, I think there... Maybe they made, they made a, a at the moment. It looks like a miscalculation about how much support they have on the on the street. Now they believe their own propaganda. I was going to say we've also talked about um, sending someone on a mission to find something that you already have the answer for that you want. You know, so we and we've actually seen this with Russia specifically. If you send people out to try to support yeah. a fact that you think exists without being open ended, like find me the support, 
in Ukraine. Well, they'll find you the support because that's what you've told them to do rather than find if there is. When you have 40 million people in Ukraine, and if you have uh, even uh, uh, 10,000 or 15,000 who support you, that's not a number that's going to be a, a, a game changer. But it's a nuisance. Now, in the east of Ukraine, there are a lot of Russians and Russian... On the border states. In the border, well, the, the, the whole contest was about that, that uh, the Ukraine regime is doing genocide against them. And that's, that's, that's not true. The, the Krim, you could say they took over an area that was occupied by Russians. Crimea, yeah. By Crimea. So, okay, so they got away with it. Not happy about well, it. When I filmed in Lviv, there was a restaurant that you go to that the only way you could get in was you could say, long live Ukraine, and then you do a shot. And not that you said, fuck Russians, but basically that was the concept. Lviv is extremely, for instance, pro-Ukrainian, and you know you don't speak Russian in Ukraine in Lviv. Now, the, question, <laughs> so, the other question you have to ask yourself, is there hatred between the Russians and the Ukrainians? Now, I would say that this war is a misconcept because basically the Russians and the Ukrainians are very close. They're very close. They may not like to being hugged by each other, you could say, but they're very close. I don't think the Ukrainians hate Russians, Ukrainians. and I don't think the Russians hate Ukraine. But what is happening now is that um, Putin is driving a wall or driving um, a fence between that relationship that used to be between Russia and Ukraine where they did like each other they did have some kind of connection and I don't and now the, I think that the war is not between Russia and Ukraine it's between Putin's regime of course and, and Ukraine that of means course. if it will be up to the Russians they don't want this war and uh, yes, they, there the have Russians, been protests in Russia be, when but, the bodies you know. start coming home in big numbers of course they can't say much about it the, Putin's not going to let bodies be shown on any sort no, of, of course numbers. Not. You know? Of course not. They're not going to give numbers, and they're not going to show how things are going. But I, I don't think that um, um, there's no there's, real hatred the, between the, the, an the Ukrainians. Didn't have a problem I, with I, the Russians. I would compare it much to how the English and the French act towards one another in this sort of jokey animosity as a throwback to the Hundred Year War. The English and the French quote-unquote hate each other. But it's a joke. They don't really hate each other. It's not a real, like if an Englishman meets a Frenchman, they're going to go, oh, I hate you. It's a jokey kind of situation. It, it, that, would, I would say, is a, is a parallel that might exist um, between the Russians and the Ukrainians, yes. Um, but conceptually, like I said, my experience is they look at Putin and they look at the regime and they feel as I said they felt, you know, this is the 21st century Adolf Hitler with his Nazi regime rolling into the country. It's very strange that they use the word Nazis to try to justify each other's actions. And why, why, why use that? I mean, I'm telling you, that's what my Ukrainian friends are saying. That's what I'm seeing on social media. That's what the sentiment is. That's the feeling. Yes, because both have suffered from it and they think that that will rally the people. Well, it's a common thing to be used these days, thrown around. Now, if you look at another angle of it, and that's from the world politics. Well, this is where it gets really interesting and complicated because, yes. you know, Taiwan is watching this very closely. Exactly, not only Taiwan. Now, Russia and China have become very close. As well. And China America, is, in fact, supporting this. They're, in, in, they, they're supporting it, but they're, they're looking a little bit to see what it means because from their point of view, they're looking at it and judging it and saying, okay, if we do it to Taiwan, what's the West going to do? The West is not going to fight us. They're not going to do anything. They're going to sanction us. They can't really sanction China the way that will hurt them in the way that you could, it would hurt Russia, maybe. Look, Putin so the question the is the perfect time to do this because the world stage of world leaders, there doesn't exist someone on the world stage who really can oppose him. Because he's been around too long. He's been around too long. And that's what happens. When leaders have been around weakness, too long, it's not, it's not good. And he sees the weakness in the leadership in other regimes. Well, the democratic regimes, the way they are, they're always going to be weak. Look, he wouldn't have done this when Donald Trump was president. I, don't, I wouldn't say that. Not, I, I don't agree. Because Donald Trump is too unpredictable. Or predictable in a different way. He, Donald Trump backed out from certain things when you didn't think he yes, should have. Yes, he left the Kurds on their own, okay. which was very bad. Okay, and, he, and, and maybe he did a deal with the North Koreans. 
good or bad, we don't know. But I don't, I don't want to judge and say Trump was better or not. I'm or, not or saying he's Biden better. I'm just not. saying that he was very unpredictable. I'm With saying Biden, you have a very predictable response. It was obvious to. It's obvious that the West has no appetite to put for uh, to put. Uh, troops on the ground in Ukraine. Of course they have no appetite, but there's and potentially necessity. No, no. If it's between falling, Ukraine falling or Third World War, Ukraine will fall. What about air support? That's what a lot of my Ukrainian friends are saying. Give us air support. No. Give us air support. No, Help because, us in the air. Clear no, the skies. No, Help us. No. The moment you start that and an, an American, air, American fighter or a British fighter or French or German fighter are down by Russian rockets or missiles... You're starting a war. It's, it doesn't. It doesn't end there. So, and today you have to understand economics is a very powerful Everything's tool. Everything's connected. A very powerful tool. And I think the sanctions game is something that they they had no choice but to play. Now, there's another element of this war that we talked about from the intelligence point of view. And that is that how come everybody knew there's going to be an invasion, and what? Everybody did towards it, or what did they say about it? Everyone now, felt there might be, but they didn't know. They weren't no, sure. There were everybody, most not everybody, but the intelligence was there. Why was it there? Because such a big scale of a maneuver, people talk. So people talk; they're going to go in. People talk about forces. You put the units together. People are not at home. Huge build up on the border. Build up on the borders. Uh, talking about going, doing things. You probably have a lot of uh, maybe plans and going through different areas and all that stuff. They had it. They had it. But what was missing? The one element that we discussed in the beginning. What's the end game? That's what's the, the end game? question. What, what is the end game? Be- because from an intelligence point of view, the end game was probably known to only one or two people. Putin. Putin and maybe some of his close advisors. And those are the ones who knew what they wanted. Now, if the West knew in advance what they wanted, maybe they could have played it differently. Now, if if Biden said, for instance, well, it's only going to be a little uh, a takeover of some of the territory, I think you would say, okay. But that wasn't really the end game. We don't know. Well, look, the perspective that I had on the situation, because obviously, again, I was following it. I have friends there, all this kind of stuff. I'm not privy to any sort of greater intelligence than what I see on, you know, different news sites and, you know, Twitter and, and all that other stuff is a buildup, potential for a conflict. The assumption being it would be like the previous Russian skirmishes that occurred along the border, primarily in Crimea. And maybe this was a bigger one that their intention was to really come in and completely take over that area. That was the assumption that I had, and I think probably a lot of people had who weren't maybe privy to other information. Or maybe it was the assumption that a lot of people had in those higher-up situations. Maybe Biden was thinking, okay, it's a bigger buildup. He's showing his muscle. He's going to come in. He's going to take Crimea. Okay, we can do it. But the fact that, for instance, Kiev was attacked last night, I mean, that is shocking to me. I was in Kiev for a month and a half. You know, it's it's it's, it's shocking it's, to me. It's the capital city. It's, so it's I, I'm far not shocked, from the border. I'm not, I'm not shocked at it at all. I mean, if you, as long as you're targeting military installations and strategic infrastructure that could weaken your country, it's legitimate from the Russian point of view to do it if they want to weaken the country and change, make a, re- a, re- a regime change. Well, if they're change. going for a regime change. Yes. But I, I thought... You know, I thought it was just going to be Crimea, a border no, thing. You know, no, but no, that's they're... that's a mistake because it wasn't going to be that. Well, when the, when thought. all the foreign countries told their citizens to leave, because they understood that this is going to be a much bigger escalation and a much bigger war, and a lot of people didn't believe it. Even yeah. maybe in Ukraine, they didn't believe. Why yeah. would even today people say, "How come? Why would Russia want to do that? It's not, it's not acceptable." War has been such a foreign part of European mentality for you know since World War Two, essentially. This is a big shock and a wake-up call. I think the main thing that this is telling people is wake up. Wake up to what? New world order. This is and not what, post-World War II. And what's the new world order? We can't sit on our heels and wait for things to happen. We, each one country to defend itself? It's not going to happen. Not each one country to defend itself, but A, we can't rely on the United States to defend the world. And they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. They should, and, because they can't. And they can't. And B, wake up and smell the roses. This isn't post-World War II where 
we're so sick of war and we don't we don't want anything else and everyone agrees to be nice and civil you don't have an army because you're depending on france to come defend you part of nato i'm sorry you know poland make sure your army's up to scratch no no you you can't because i'm you, not you, saying have a crazy no, I, fighting force no that's but why you that's why you join you join nato yeah, join that's why NATO, you have but but put uh, up your treaties. part Put up your part in NATO. You, you know, if the, the European enemy, nations have not been giving their required parts to NATO. Not all of them. I I, I would like to disagree here. I don't. Th- it depends who your enemy is. If you're dealing with a big enemy like Russia, you can't. If you're a country like Poland, I'm not saying Poland or, needs to defend or, itself against or, Russia on its own. But it is an agreement so you, of that's NATO. That's why. That's why you join NATO. But as in, a force, you can do it. exactly. But when you join NATO, you're required to contribute a certain amount towards NATO, and European nations have not been doing that. Okay, so maybe that could be. That's what I'm saying. Fixed, but that's not the issue here. And why haven't they? Because other nations would have done it for them, and they fill in the gap. I'm sorry, you can't rely on other nations to fill in the gap for do you, you believe if, do you feel that if the big question will be if russia decides to attack or go into a nato country and nato doesn't do something that's a change of the world of order. course that's huge. i don't at the, at the moment everybody's cha- saying it's a change of the world order i'm not saying that i'm saying the world order is that there's nato and then there's russia and the Russian influence. Russia is trying to avoid one of its major countries that's on its border to become a frontier against him. And that's why they want to change the government there. So the world order is important for them. As long as NATO sticks to its agreement on Article 5 that if one attacked, they're all attacked, and then they then they all decide to have, have to go and use force, then... It's a change of world order. Sure. At the moment, Russia is playing the game that it played up till now. That's on the twilight of the influence areas that they have, trying to play games. Now, sure. Ukraine, unfortunately, is 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 the one that's uh, suffering from it. Absolutely, but it's not part of NATO. Not part of NATO, but it is more Western than any other of the countries that might have been attacked. So. The people there and the West feel very uh, and, and and not at ease about it. Absolutely. Now, again, from the intelligence point of view, because we looked, at it, we like to look at it, spies and lies. So the lies here is what Putin is saying about why he's invading. So he's using lies to justify what he, maybe he does not even believe it, but I don't, I doubt it. That the excuses they're using to invade are not true by most of the people. Okay. And um, they're using it to make the difference from their point of view. Sure. Now, if you ask me, and you're not asking me, but if you ask me how this could end, I think probably if you're looking at it from a bigger picture, uh, the sanctions will hit Russia in a way that the Russian regime, if Ukraine will fall, if Russia wants Ukraine to fall, and go down in a blast because Putin will not surrender and won't give up, Ukraine will fall, okay? It will be a lot of casualties. It won't be pleasant. It will be a lot of uh, uh, bad uh, images on the television and a lot of people, and the press eventually will have to leave, and then they'll do what they want to do, and and who knows what's going to happen to the leadership that's there that might be taken away and not, not stay alive out of it. But on the long run, it will not work because... You're saying we're going to see a situation similar to what we saw in Syria with ISIS, Daesh, where they came over and completely toppled a country, where we saw in Afghanistan with the Taliban. We're saying we're seeing a complete changeover of power and destruction. Maybe not the same civilian kind of damage as you've said because he wants to keep that. We're going to see something like that. I think... Coming back to what I wanted to say, that if you want to see the end of this, it has to be not in Ukraine, but in Russia. Something in Russia, eventually Putin is going to have to step down. Step down because it's natural causes. In the 20, 30 years, he's not going to be around. Okay. Or internally, people will decide that this is not the right way to go. I hear he's planning on planting his brain inside a cat. (laughs) 
Okay, that's a different episode and we're not going into that. So that would be, you would say, a situation that's not good for Ukraine. But if you look at it for the world point of view, if you have so to let sacrifice... Ukraine fall. I'm, what is Ukraine... F- Again, what do you mean Ukraine fall? Let's look at it practically. If Ukraine stays an independent state, but a puppet, okay, we have to live with it. But Russia will be under a lot of sanctions, weakened, and eventually it will crumble again like it happened when Gorbachev was around. And then Ukraine, again, will be able to vote its own way out of it and then join NATO. And then NATO will accept it. So not nice, not pleasant, but that's probably the scenario that the Ukrainians will have to live with. And if... If, If, but if Russia wants to annex Ukraine, then we're looking at a different game completely. Because then it means that will there be resistance? Will there be continuous fighting? The Russians anyway, no matter what scenario we'll say, will have to leave forces in Ukraine. They're not going to allow it, change the regime and move on. No, because if there'll be a, a voting again, they'll, they'll vote them out. So they'll have to go in again. They'll have to find something. So not a pleasant situation for Ukraine. So long, Hong Kong. Welcome Ukraine to the party. Hong Kong has been, the Chinese are playing the long game. In Taiwan, it depends what happens in, in Ukraine. Let me ask you a question. Yes. You remember Tibet? Yes. Tibet used to be a sovereign nation. It wasn't really a nation, but okay. It was a, a region that was had its own way of running itself. Historically, Tibet has been an independent kingdom. Kingdom. Okay. Last yes. kingdom. Yes, it was a kingdom. Yes. Okay. It was run by the Dalai Lama, who yes. was the religious head of the state Correct. there. Yes. It was independent. Yes. Governed itself. Yes. And then China took over. Right. And we don't talk about Tibet anymore. No. Because they did, they switch, uh, they switch people, they put people in exactly what the Russians are doing. They switch people around. But you took, when you're talking about 40 million, it's a different scenario. Now, we're having this podcast now. Tomorrow may be a completely different situation. Of course. We can only judge it according to what we see now and what the situation is now. But again, I th- you, you have to look at the Russian, w- the way the Russians are handling it to understand how they would like to see the end game. Yeah. And just when so they you know, start we're, we're bombing, recording when, this on Saturday, February yes. 26th. Yes. So if they're going to start really bombing civilians and really destroying infrastructure... That is already a, an indication of where they're going to go. As long as they're not doing it, my feeling is that they do not want to have the responsibility of fixing the country. And they would like to keep it autonomy, autonomous. They would like to have a different government there. And they're very careful not to make them hate them more than they are now. The longer it lasts more difficult it will be to stay with that situation because they're going to realize that there's not going to be a government that's going to be accepted by anyone in Ukraine if they're going to do atrocities in Ukraine. And then the only way is to occupy Ukraine. And if they occupy Ukraine, then they're going to have a very, very difficult time to maintain forces and not be under a severe attack or uh, and have the sanctions against them. And in the long run, it will not be able to sustain it. I'm going to go back a second to when you said, let's say they occupy, da 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 da, Putin in 20, 30 years is no longer in power, Ukraine votes its own independence and joins NATO. Let's say. Yes. Okay. And that situation occurs, and let's say they get accepted to NATO and all that kind of stuff, and let's say Putin number two comes along, mini Putin. And he thinks, eh, they're part of NATO, but they're not really going to do anything. Ukraine's mine. And he comes and attacks it again. I know we're talking hypothetical here, but you really think. You really think NATO's going to do something? You really feel that this is going to... They're going to defend Ukraine? Ask me Ukraine? a different question. Because no, no, no. to me, I'm looking at this, and a moment ago when we were talking about this kind of thing, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about Sarajevo. I'm thinking about Franz Ferdinand. And no, I'm thinking about I, how... No, I don't want you to go there. I want you to answer a different question. If they attack Poland, will, will, will America and the West respond? Will they attack Lithuania, Estonia, Lita, Romania? Will the West respond? Yes. Yeah, but that's yes. a little bit different. Because they're part of NATO. Because they've been part of it longer, and it's they're it's, closer. 
It's a defeat. Maybe game. will they? I don't know. Maybe if they, they don't, it's a it's a then. What's worth having these treaties? I'll, I'll tell you what. If they attack Poland, I feel like there's more of a chance than if they attack Lithuania. Only if the Lithuanians invite the Russians to come in. Then they have a problem. But that is not the situation at the moment. That's why Putin wants to use, in my opinion, wants to use Ukraine as an example where he can do a change regime, have the have a pro-Russian government who invites the Russians to stay there or take control of a certain areas. Everyone's going to know it's a puppet. What does that Never serve mind. him? Well, and and keep it as a good life. The people can move around. They can do things. They can move, do everything they want. But politically and, uh, uh, and militarily, they can't do much. And then he'll say, okay, now let's use our influence in all these other countries that are next to mine who have a lot of Russian population in them and change them as well. I think that's the game he would, the long game that he would want to play. But I think, again, coming back to what is happening in Ukraine, I think he underestimated the resilience of the Ukrainian people and uh, how much uh, they will resent what he's doing and fight it. And time will tell if that's really, if they can hold out long enough to. Uh, eventually have a ceasefire or or something that will without uh, the Ukraine government being jeopardized by Fritz's assassination or kidnapping or taking away uh, Zelensky and uh, his cabinet. And if they can last, then the Ukraine have a better chance of staying around. If they don't, then that's might what happen. The West will not fight for Ukraine, but the West will fight anyone who attacks, in my opinion, a NATO state. Okay. If we look at Ukraine and we think about their intelligence service, one would have to assume that the history of that intelligence service would primarily be focused on one nation, and that would be Russia, their foreign intelligence service and their internal one, if it's split. And you would think that the vast majority of their resources would be about figuring out what the heck Russia wants with them, what they're planning, what they're doing. They're not interested in Great Britain and spies there or this and that. No, no, no. Or foreign operations. They're interested in Russia, Russia, and more Russia. Or the Russians that are in Ukraine who've taken over Ukrainian territories. That's their internal services. Yes. So talk to me now from the Ukrainian intelligence service perspective here. Well, I... You have to look at it from from before the attacks or after the attacks. Before. First of all, I want to say one other thing here. Um, it's not clear if the Russians take over Ukraine, are they going to unite the eastern provinces and Krim into this new Ukrainian puppet state, or are they going to keep these areas still independent or turn them in part of Russia completely? So that's another question that's not clear completely what they want to do. Well, nothing is clear about what they're planning on doing. Exactly. So there's a lack of intelligence. Now, the lack of intelligence goes back to your question. When you're an intelligence organization and you ask yourself, okay, what are my priorities? So first of all is the integrity of my country and integrity of my people. Now, some of my territory has been occupied by a foreign country. I have people who want to be part of me. On the other hand, they're trying to topple my government. So your focus is on the tactical and the strategic. Tactical, on the ground, what's going on that I'm not attacked? Strategically, what's the big picture? Will the, Russia, the, will the Ukrainians' intelligence organizations have the intelligence, enough intelligence to tell them that what the Russians are up to? Apparently they didn't. They relied on others, or maybe they had their own to tell them they're going to be attacked, but... So do you prepare yourself? Yes, they did prepare themselves. But how much can you prepare yourself? You're not going to move, build a new airspace somewhere or air, air, air base. You can't move your uh, ships when you don't have any. And you can't move your tank artilleries to, from the frontier when you need them there anyway. So what really can you do? You build shelters? Okay. Are you preparing to arm your people, prepare them to be armed? Yes. Are you uh, 
looking to see if who's reporting to the Russians, yes. I think at the moment, according to what we have today, there's not too much chaos going on in the cities of pro-Russian Ukraines going out and supporting Russia and saying, come on, Russians, come and liberate us. Yes, and this is no Bay of Pigs in an isolated thing where no one knows what's going on. Exactly. Everyone in Ukraine knows what's going on, but we're not seeing pro-Russian uprisings in Ukraine, as far as I'm aware. As far as we're aware, there's not happening. So the internally internal agency has to make sure that, first of all, they stop any Russian uh, capabilities. Now, if you look at it, how did the Russians start the attack? By cyber attacks. What does it mean, cyber attacks? That means trying to stop the functioning of the country, if it's the banks, if it's the uh, uh, airspace, if it's uh, anything that could make chaos into the communications. Anything that can make chaos that will be difficult for the Ukrainian defense forces to react and do something. So they had to have intelligence about it. Do the Ukrainians, as an organization, a security organization, have to protect yourself from that? I think one of the lessons that a lot of countries will learn now, that in today's world, you have to be prepared to protect your assets as well from the cyber attacks, from further... Uh, countries who want to do something against you. And that will increase the capabilities that you will have to invest in protecting your assets, not only militarily, but as everything today is electronic and working on, on computers and connected and linked and people can attack you from all over the place, countries will have to decide, okay, we have to invest more time in that and effort and financing and whatever goes with it. So that will be a big lesson for everybody because we saw that it started with a cyber attack. Now, the West has not said they're starting a cyber attack against Russia, but it is possible that it could be that eventually the West will use that as a tool. But again, it's starting, it can go both ways. So do you want to start that way? But there are capabilities. So there's another element here that we have to look at. As you asked me, as an intelligence organization, what do you do? From the external service, I think dealing with Russia, the Ukraines had a good opportunity because they have a lot of Ukraines in Russia. But you really need to know what the leader wants. At the end of the day, you if can't... he wants your destruction, there's not much you can do about it to stop him. No, but at least you know he wants your destruction. But we don't know if he wants your destruction. Look, Zelensky knows he doesn't want him anymore. Zelensky knows that he has to eventually, if he wants to leave, he'll probably have to leave because the Russians don't want him around. He'll be a figurehead to get rid of by the Russians. And from them, Zelensky could say, I would say something else. Zelensky would say to save Ukraine from destruction, he would leave Ukraine to save Ukraine. That's very noble and very right for him to do. That would be like to do that and have a ch- and, and move out. Is that out. noble? If... The Russians start bombing civilian facilities and starts going against the civilian infrastructure. And he knows that by him leaving, he will save his country from destruction and he's given a safe passage. I think that will be a way for him to leave without his country being destroyed. Because if Russia really wants to destroy, as we said, they will. Yeah, they can flatten cities. So if you know that you can, by you moving out, and maybe if in the future trying to go to get, get in again, that might be an exit from his point of view and a safe face. Because in the end, Russia would want to leave, or oh, let's put it this way. In the end, this has to be an, an end game, and they have to save face. So the Russians will want to show that they made success, otherwise they're not going to stop. The Ukrainians realize that probably militarily they cannot hold out. So in the end, someone's going to have to give in something to end this. If the Russians are not going to be able to occupy Ukraine, but they want out, but they can't show they want out, and the Ukrainians realize that they can only lose all the time and they can't stay, the end game will be for him to leave and the Russians to let them have someone else in. But we're not there yet. Look, they didn't take Kiev last night. That's a win for the Ukrainians. Yes, but it's... Of it course, if the Russians on, wanted to flatten Kiev, they would have flattened it. And they'll bomb where he is, or they'll find where he is, and they'll send a missile and destroy it. Is that the end? No. But is that is that what they want to show? Is that what they want to do? 
I'm, I'm not sure. You know, at the moment in, in Ukraine, there's a mandate that every able-bodied person without age limitations to arm themselves and to resist. I heard that in Kiev, they're putting in um, a system that after I think it's 5 p.m., anyone on the street is considered a Russian agent and will be dealt with accordingly. As I said, my Ukrainian friends and my perspective on Ukrainians' outlook on Putin and the Russians is that this is Adolf Hitler of the 21st century and the Nazi regime come to my country. Now, anyone familiar with history will know that if you think Adolf Hitler and the Nazis are in your country... You are going to fight till the very end. Yes, but it's... Uh, because I, if you surrender, it's the same as fighting and dying. That's if your perspective really is that. Unless you know what the end game is, and if they just want to bring Ukraine back to where it was before, but have a different government, you say, you know what, okay, different government, we'll change it later. There's a lot of things. I'm, I'm a bit worried about not allowing anyone to move between 5 and, and 8 o'clock because it means who's who's responsible for it. There's so many people responsible for making sure it happens, you don't know who's who. You know, a lot of mistakes happen when these things are around. Anyway, the people are in bunkers uh, on the underground, underground for motor in, in the... In, in, subways. In, is it subways. You know, the guy has to go out for a smoke or he has to go for a, to go to his house that's nearby. They're going to shoot him. <laughs> it's not, not a clear cut. But... It's the best anti-smoking ad I've heard. <laughs> it helps. Anyway, it's, this was a Spies and Lies special. I would be uh, watching this very closely if I was Taiwan. Not only Taiwan, but this is... A sp- Many nations who rely on or think they have the support of certain powers would be watching this very closely. Very closely indeed. I hope it was interesting. I hope uh, it was useful to people to hear what we have to say. Uh, again, uh, things might change completely very soon, but as we heard it today, where we are now, this is my thoughts. To my Ukrainian friends, I remember uh, a particular sentence in Ukrainian that I said at the rap party. Djakuju vivovichni grupi. Stay strong, and hopefully some light will be shining at the end of this insane tunnel. This was Spies and Lies. Thanks for listening. And remember... Don't stay in power for too long. You don't know what decisions you'll make. You'll regret afterwards. This was a Grumpy Golem production, with original scoring and music by Julian Dussault. This was a special episode of Spies and Lies. We'll be continuing with our regular programming <laughs> in Season 2. We are coming to an end of Season 1, and uh, we have a Q&A episode left. So if you have any questions, send them our way. Thanks very much. Until next time.